Right, yeah, I'm, I'm Clint. I, I work here. I make small children cry. Um, I'm so excited to, to continue sharing with you guys. I'm glad that you're here. Uh, and thank you if you're, if you're online. Thank you for, for taking your morning and tuning in and, and joining us. Um, and like Brian said, we just had this youth conference. Uh, it's still going on. In fact, like I ducked out a little bit early, so don't tell anybody. Um, we're going to have these. We have 41 students. They are from all over the, our Midwest North region. They're from uh, several different churches in Minnesota and Wisconsin and Illinois. And they all came up to Duluth, all 41 of them, and their youth pastors, to like really learn how to love and serve Jesus and how to press into the, like, the, the leadership gifts that, that he's given them. And guys, it was so encouraging. It was so encouraging to see how, like, how hungry these young folks were to experience God's presence and his power and his love. Uh, we saw the Spirit of God moving through them. We had crazy ministry times, amazing worships. They went out into the city. They served at the food shelf. They prayed for strangers. Uh, it was wonderful. So all that to say, uh, I'm very tired. <laughs> and so if I just fall down, that's not the Holy Spirit. I'm just taking a nap. But I have all my notes here. Somebody can just come up and do it for me. Um, but uh, like Brian said, we're continuing on in this series of messages uh, that focuses on questions that Jesus asked. And last week, uh, if you were here, maybe you remember, Brian talked about how these questions, uh, they kind of cut to the core. They're, they're not just random questions, but there's, there's an, an intent behind them. And Brian talked about how these questions oftentimes poke and prod at our pride wasn't that fun. Like, I've been thinking about that this week, all the ways that Jesus is challenging us. And I think it's, it's really important as we focus in on these questions to remember that when Jesus asks a question, there's a reason behind it. He uses these questions to get us thinking and so that we move closer towards him. And honestly, guys, this is one of the parts about Jesus that just really frustrates me. Like, I want Jesus to just tell me what to do. I don't want him to ask me a question uh, to try to get me to figure it out. I just, I just want him to tell me. Uh, my, my family, um, we're a strong military family. Lots of generations. In fact, Constantine legend says that the very first one of us, Kaylee, you, this is my sister. Have you heard this story? Oh, this, this is Uncle Craig legend. Uh, our Uncle Craig used to tell me that the very first Constantine came across the pond from Ireland, and he got to America, and he said, he wrote home in a letter, and he said, guys, this is wonderful. I'm making friends. They gave me a job. Bring the whole clan. That job was in the Union Army, and he was promptly killed. <laughs> but he followed orders. And you know what? The rest of the clan, they followed orders, and they came over too. And here I am. Um, <laughs> but honestly, that, that's one of the reasons why I really loved my time in the service. Like in the military, I, don't even, I didn't even have to pick out what to wear. <laughs> it was so good. Like, right, they teach you how to stand. You never have to worry. Like, what do I do with my hands? You don't put them in your pockets. Here. Oh, okay, I got it. You don't have to think about a lot of that little stuff. You just show up, you follow orders. So this part about Jesus where he asks questions, man, it frustrates me. It frustrates me. Jesus, he's got a different method. He doesn't want us to be mindless robots. 
He desires us to become his friends, his disciples. He wants us to be people who learn how to reflect his image, like his nature, his character, his qualities into the world. We're meant to show his goodness to everybody else. He wants, us, he wants to teach us how to be about the things of God. And he does this by asking questions. If you want a task done, you give an order. If you want to teach somebody something, you ask them a question. So let's keep that in mind. Jesus wants to teach us something, each and every one of us, something today. So we're going to be looking at a couple instances where Jesus asks a question. And instead of giving a straight answer, he, he responds with a question of his own. And uh, it kind of, on, on the surface, it may seem like he's trying to dodge the questions. You know, uh, what about this thing? Oh, let me ask you a question. But that's not it at all. What Jesus is doing is he's challenging these would-be question askers to think. He's not dodging at all, but rather he's reorientating them to uh, it's like a greater truth. He's using these questions to draw them closer to him, to challenge their way of thinking. And that's what he wants to do with us today. So we're going to start in Luke. We're going to be in uh, verse 20. And we're going to start in, that's not right, Luke chapter 20. The big number's the 20. The small numbers are 1 through 8. So uh, there's, there's Bibles in the chair backs in front of you. Uh, I'm not going to throw this one up on the screen because it's helpful to open the Bible sometimes. Uh, but I'm going to read it for us. But before I do, one of the things I always tell uh, my, my students, my high school students and my middle school students, is it's important when you're studying the Bible to not just open it and read a random verse. It's really important to get the context of what's going on. Uh, so let me set the scene for you. Jesus, he had just come to Jerusalem, and this is shortly before the Passover. And as he's entering the city, people, they're like freaking out. They're really excited that he's here. They're crying out to him. They're saying things like, blesses the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Like they're praising him like he's this king coming into the city. And Jesus marches up to the temple. If you remember, the temple was the center of Jewish, Jewish religious life. And he just causes a stir. He's flipping tables. He's driving people out. He's setting up shop, completely disrupting things. And as you can imagine, this upsets certain people. This upsets the people in power. So that's, um, that's where we're, we're kind of picking up today, is these people in power, they're about to confront Jesus. And you got, they got to be thinking, like, who is this backwoods, uncredentialed, illegitimate son of a carpenter? to come in here and do these things. So that's kind of the, the setting of this. Uh, these religious leaders, they're about to confront Jesus. Uh, Luke 20, verse 8. Verse 1 through 8. It says, guys, you're great. Thanks for being with me today. Uh, if you're watching online, don't tune out. I promise. I'll get it dialed in. Uh, it says, one day as Jesus was teaching, the people in the temple courts and proclaiming the good news, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, together with the elders, came up to him. Tell us by what authority you're doing these things, they replied. Who gave you this authority? He replied, I will ask you a question. Tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, all the people will stone us because they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered, we didn't know where it was from. 
Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. Right? Classic Jesus. Uh, so we have Jesus. He's in the temple. He's proclaiming the good news. And we learn at the very beginning of uh, Mark 1, kind of the good news that Jesus was teaching about is he would say things like, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. That, and that uh, because of this good news, we're to repent and to believe, to put our weight down on it. He's saying the time is here. God is so close, you could reach out and touch him. So close, it's almost like he was standing in front of the temple. And if you touched and reached out, you would touch God himself. Like, that's what Jesus is saying. Uh, he's teaching, and then we see this confrontation happen. Jesus is approached by uh, these, these, these three, three different groups. The chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now, each one of these three groups, they had some form of power and authority. The chief priests, they traced their power and authority all the way back uh, to Moses' brother Aaron and uh, the Levites in the desert. They oversaw the temple like this was their turf. They had power and authority. The teachers of the law, they read scripture forwards and backwards. They knew God's word. They were like God's mouthpiece on the earth. It was their job to tell people what God said and what God thought. They had power and authority. And the elders... The elders, they were the, the old, the wise, the social and economic leaders of their society. They were like the big deal, you know? They had power and authority. And these, these groups, they come to Jesus and they say, by what authority are you doing these things? Can you picture it? Like you're in the temple. You get this young, charismatic preacher. <laughs> I know it's going to be kind of hard for you guys to picture He's saying all these things about how much God loves you and he's for you and God is near. God isn't distant. God wants to be with you. He's teaching all these things. And then the most important people in society walk up and they get in his face and they say, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are to come in here and do this? Who told you that you could? Because he wasn't me. Elders, was it you? Wasn't the elders. Lawyers? Was it the lawyers? Lawyers didn't. All the people that could tell you that you, have to do, that you could do this are right here, and it was none of us. Why are you doing this? And they're like aggressive and in Jesus' face about it. Can you, can you like feel the tension rise in that moment? And has this ever happened to you? Have you ever been in a situation where somebody just goes from zero to 60 and is just in your face about something? And I'm like, oh gosh, like that? Uh, I think that's a technical term. Oh, gosh, like that? Um, I had this happen. I mean, uh, this was a couple years ago. This was the first one that came to my mind. Um, I had a lady knock on my door. She was my neighbor lady. And I opened the door. And I'm like, hi, can I help you? And she immediately started screaming at me about how apparently I had parked too close to her driveway. I know. I know. So she's screaming. Um, I got like a... Uh, <laughs> He's a friend. He was like in fourth grade. I have my fourth grade friend there. She's chewing me out in front of my fourth grade friend. How dare you? Who do you think you are parking so close to my driveway? I know it's a public street, but you can't park there. Like just getting after me. I didn't know what to say. I got defensive. I clam I'm sorry. I'll move my car. My car wouldn't start. I, I junked it. <laughs> That's not a lie. I couldn't get it to start. I called the truck. I was like, can you come? I'll give you 100 bucks for my car. Take it. I walked to work from there. Like that's a real story. <laughs> have you ever been there where somebody just gets in your face? I think that we can all think of one time where that's happened to us, but how about 
the other way around. Have you ever been on the other end of that? Where something happens and you make a, an aggressive comment? Or if we're being honest, we're in Minnesota, so passive-aggressive comment. <laughs> like right here, guys, the, the religious elites, they get, they get a bad rap because we're all, we're all right there with them. We've all jumped on that person that's parked too close to us in the parking lot. We're like, how am I even supposed to get into my car? <laughs> ding your door. How about the boss at work? We're like, if I was in charge. This wouldn't happen. This thing would run super smooth if I was in charge. God doesn't know what he's doing. Your poor boss is just trying to do the best that they can with the situations they have. How many times are we just like the religious elites in our lives? How many times do we deny the voice and authority of God in our lives? They get a bad rap, but we're all right there with them. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But first, let's look and see how Jesus responds in this situation here in Luke 20. Uh, does he do what I would do and like call down lightning and smite these folks? Does he like summon a choir of angels to be like, this is God? <laughs> nope. He asks a question. He plays the old, uh, with a, the uno reverse card. Spins it right back to him. Uh, and he asked him this question about John the Baptist. Now, John was Jesus' older cousin, and John had started his public ministry a little bit before Jesus. And his message was, uh, guys, God is coming. He is coming. He's coming soon. And we need to be ready to receive his message in our hearts. And so as a sign of that, uh, people would go out into the desert to the Jordan River, and they would get baptized as a sign of repentance for their sins and like this invitation, like, God, I'm ready. I'm here. I'm ready for you. And John, he was very popular. Tons of people uh, went out to get baptized by him. Uh, but John, he was eventually imprisoned by this guy named Herod. Uh, John had kind of called Herod out on some sin issues in his life. And John was eventually executed. But Herod, he was uh, in league with the Romans. The Romans said, Herod was a Jewish guy. Uh, the Romans had set him up kind of as, as the local ruler, but he didn't have a whole bunch of power. He was, he was more like a puppet king for the Romans. So Jesus, he asks this question about John. And what he does is he totally redirects this conversation with a single question. He turns their attack on him into an invitation for discussion. They power up and try to take him down, and he basically says, you know what, I'm not having this talk with you. We're not having this fight right now don't want to get into it. What about this? What about this thing? And he, uh, he turns their attack inward, and he invites them to examine, like, what's going on inside, their motivations, like, what's at the core? Why are they attacking him? Like, this, this question points to that. So look how they respond, because we're going to see it right here. They say, well, if we say that it's from God, He'll ask us why we didn't believe. And if we say it was from humans, well, these people are just going to pick up rocks and kill us because they really love John. So if you pay attention there, they were looking for a way out. They were looking for a way to save face and stay in power. Their motivation wasn't really because they cared where Jesus' authority came from. Their motivation was self-preservation. If John, and by turn Jesus, really came from God, think of all the stuff that they would lose. They would lose their status 
as God's mouthpiece on earth. They would lose being the most uh, prestigious and respected people in their culture. And they'd have to admit, this is the big one, they would have to admit that they were wrong. The elites, they're operating out of fear here. Anybody ever have a time like where you were wrong? You're like, oh man, now I gotta go back and say that? When we admit that we're wrong, it challenges all sort of our pride and our insecurities. So the religious elites here, they're operating out of fear and self-preservation and they're just trying to find a way to save face. So how many times, friends, is this us? How many times do we operate out of this place of fear and self-preservation because we're scared of what we're going to have to give up? We're scared about what we're going to have to sacrifice. We're scared about what we're going to have to apologize for or what Jesus is inviting us into. When we're challenged, when we feel like we're losing control, when we feel like just that, that maybe it's just my house because I got small kids, but you ever feel like life is just a chaos swarm swirling around you? Like when you feel that, what's your default? Like what do you reach for? Do you, do you try to like reach out and take control? Do you try to power up, get big, muscle your way through? Do you double down and be like, oh man, I just know if, uh, if I work hard and grit it out and just double down my efforts, like I'll be okay. That's how I'm going to get through it. I just pick myself up on my bootstraps and working hard. Is that you? Or maybe, maybe you do the thing where you distance. You're like, oh man, life is so hard and I'm being challenged here and there's this. You want? Know I'm just going to detach. I'm going to withdraw. I'm not going to think about it. Because you know that that's a way to insulate your heart from the pain. You put up walls to make sure that at the end of the day, you're going to be okay because nothing will hurt you. Or do you reach for something a little bit like more physical? Do you, when you're feeling stress, when you're feeling that anxiety, do you reach for a drink? Do you, do you take a pill? Do you, um, do you like find that relationship to try to give you like value and self-worth? You may be afraid, you may be alone, but you know that if you send that one 2 a.m. text message, like somebody's gonna come over and at least for those couple hours, you'll feel okay. Like what do you reach for? Friends, today, Jesus is asking all of us that same question that he asked the religious elites back then. Like, what's motivating us? Is it the voice of God? Or is it the voice of fear and self-preservation? And we're being invited to trust that the God who hung the stars, that's the God that wants to be our safety and our security. We're not going to prevent all the chaos in the world, let's be clear, but we get to choose how we respond. Are we going to try to carve out this safe little tiny world on our own? Or are we going to listen to the voice of God that tells us uh, that we're going to be okay, that we can trust him, that we can let go and press into his love? Can you trust that listening to the voice of God is better than listening to the voice of self-preservation? So Jesus, he asks this question, and he, he invites uh, these, these big shots in his community, these religious elites, into this relationship of trusting in divine authority. And you know what they do? They say, no, thank you. No, thank you. I'll pass. I'm not even willing to consider that possibility. And they chose to listen to those other voices 
rather than the voice of God. And so then if we keep reading, a couple verses down, they hatch this plan. They hatch this plan to get Jesus arrested and maybe even killed. And so what I want to point out here too is look at this escalation. They rejected Jesus and then their behavior just gets even worse. They went from like just trying to kick him out of the temple to like, all right, this guy's got to go. We got, we, we, got to, we got to take him out. Let's get him arrested by the Romans. Let's just get him out of the picture. When we choose to move away from God instead of towards him, man, people are going to get hurt. Sometimes our decisions hurt ourselves, and sometimes the consequence of us not pressing into our relationship with God is we hurt other people around us. But one of the beautiful things about our God is that he never gives up on us. He's always inviting us into more. So let's, we're going to skip down a little bit more, and we're going to read another time that Jesus answers a question with a question. So we see uh, that this group of religious elites, they're trying to trap him with another question. So we're going to skip to Mark 12. I'm going to throw this one up on the screen so that you're, you don't have to flip back and forth. Uh, but Mark 12, uh, starting in verse 13, says, Later, they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? He asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, Whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And they were amazed. You guys, this is such a good trap. Oh my gosh. Like, I just get, I'm blown away. You see, the thing is, the, the Pharisees and the, the Herodians, they weren't even really friends. They weren't allies. Uh, the Pharisees, they believed in like moral purity. They believed in the law. And really, they believed in an Israel, like, um, like a self-governing Israel, an Israel free from the influence of Rome and Caesar. But the, the Herodians, on the other hand, remember that guy Herod I talked about? They were kind of part of his crew. They believed in compromise. They like, wanted to work with Rome a little bit. And their, their way of thinking was like, I don't know, man, an Israel with a puppet king is better than an Israel burned to the ground by the, Rome, by the Romans without a temple and all of us enslaved again. So I guess we just deal with the Romans. So you've got the Pharisees that wanted like no Roman influence. You've got the Herodians that were a little bit more grounded in realism. And they're both here trying to trap Jesus. They're asking about tax to Caesar. This is a big deal. Uh, they're, uh, in a, we're, we're working through this book called Jesus Asked. It's by a guy named Conrad Gemp. He puts it this way. I think he summarizes it really good. He says, Rome is an occupying army, a pagan government, usurping God's authority in the land he graced to his people. Is it right to pay tribute and show honor and submission to a figure as the self-styled divine emperor? Were Jesus to answer, yeah, okay, pay the tax. It might well be taken as a denial that Israel as a nation belonged to God and that they should serve him alone. If, on the other hand, he were to answer, 
No, we owe allegiance to no one but the Lord God. He will be acting against Rome, virtually preaching noncompliance and rebellion, and would be liable to arrest and punishment. And again, although we readers know that Jesus is preparing to submit himself to arrest at the hands of uh, Judaism and Rome, the characters in the story do not. They assume that such a fate would be the end of him. So no matter what Jesus says here, friends, uh, somebody's going to get him. Either the Pharisees are going to accuse him of not being loyal to Israel and God, or the Herodians are going to rat him out to Caesar. And what they're really asking Jesus is, where does your loyalty lie? And once again, we see him, uh, like, I just, I just picture, you, you guys watch the Jackie Chan movies? Where he, like, he's got the umbrella or the newspaper or whatever, and he's like, Washa! Washa! And he's, like, barely doing anything. He's just redirecting people's momentum. That's what Jesus is doing. Oh, a question. I only ask you a question. Washa! He's just spinning around him. The sound effects really help. Uh, so we see him answer with a question. And first, he, he asked for a coin. And on the coin would have most likely um, been a picture of the current emperor. emperor and um, there would have been a signature on it. And it would have said something like, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. And this was a way for the current emperor to say like, hey, the divine has graced you with my presence to rule over you. Like, I am appointed from heaven, so you need to serve me. It was like a title, a way of claiming authority. So Jesus, he asked for this coin, and then he asked his question. And the way that his question is worded, he's really saying something more like this. He's saying, uh, whose image is this? And, and whose signature? Oh, so it's his. So you should give it back to him. That's more accurate the way that he would have said it. And uh, now this isn't just a clever way of Jesus to not get murdered on the spot. There's something deeper here. Because look at that last part. Give to God what's God. Give Caesar the things that bear Caesar's image and give God the things that bear God's image. To bear someone's image is to reflect their nature and character. Jesus redirects their question about loyalty by asking his own, whose image do you bear? You bear Caesar's image? You bear God's image. Which one is it? Do we desire the things of Caesar? Power, privilege, wealth, recognition, control. Do we desire the things that bear God's image? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I read those somewhere. It's really good. <laughs> Jesus, he redirects their question and he asks his own deeper question. Who do you want to look like? And this is very much tied to his first question about authority. We are challenged through these questions to examine what's at our core. What voices are we giving authority in our lives? What image do we bear? When people look at us, what do they see? What is our primary identity? Do we first and foremost consider ourselves citizens of the kingdom of heaven, loved sons and daughters of the creator of the universe? Or do we bear a different image? Are we taking on the nature and character of a different authority rather than God's? Or are we shining God's nature and love into the world? So Jesus, he's inviting each and every one of us to look at who 
and what we call Lord. And we all have these places in our lives where we've chosen to kneel before something that's Caesar instead of something that's God. Uh, a, couple of, um, a, a couple of election cycles ago, I gave a lot of power in my life to those, uh, like the political talking heads, you know, those guys on the TV. I gave them way too much power and authority in my life. I would listen to all these different podcasts almost every day, and these podcasts would tell me like, oh, the country's going downhill, and if XYZ gets elected, it's the end of the world. I'm like, oh, that's pretty terrible. And I'd get in my car and drive somewhere, and I'd have on a talk radio show, and they're like, oh, man, this is going to happen. If, if this party or that party gets elected, we're just doomed. It's all over. You got to get out there and fight for it. And I started to like buy into it. I started to believe it. And I found that the more and more I listened to these things, man, the more I looked like Caesar and the less I looked like that carpenter from Nazareth. I found that I was angry. I was on edge. I was defensive. I was ready to like pick a verbal fight over just about anything. I was mean. But you know what? I thought all of it was justified because I was right. In my way, my people, we were saving the world. And that gave me an excuse to be a real tool. <laughs> and uh, like, let's be clear. Being civically engaged is good. Being aware and informed is good. And at the same time, we need to keep sight of the fact that our primary citizenship is in the kingdom of God. Our hope and our future, not only for our country, but for the world, for us as individuals as well as a community, it's not in a political party, it's not in a form of government. Our hope's in a person who hung on a cross. Our hope is in a God who sacrificed himself so that you and I could be free from all things Caesar, free from all the voices that take power and authority in our lives. And we need to learn how to let the Lord challenge those voices. We need to create space uh, where, where in our lives where God can call out those things that aren't from him and where we can receive his power to submit and surrender those things to him and be transformed in the people that God really truly created us to be. And that's what happened to me. Like, I felt a, a nudge from the Lord and my wife that I was consuming too much of this political media. Um, and, like, I just felt convicted. It's like, this isn't who I want to be. I don't want to be this guy. I want to be gentle. I want to be kind. I want to be caring. We need to create space in our life to learn to hear the voice of God so that we can do that. So I want to spend the last bit of our time together today uh, taking a look how we can do this, how we can give back to God what's God. So let's look at how we can intentionally create space in our lives to let Jesus challenge those voices so we can receive the good gifts that he has for us. So now we're going to skip even farther into the story, and we're going to look at a passage that shows how at one of his darkest moments, Jesus does this. Um, we're going to jump to the Garden of uh, Gethsemane. That's a fun word to say. Um, Jesus is about to be arrested, and he enters into prayer. And, and by the way, we have a whole class coming up on how to pray. Uh, where we, it's, 
It's got a really creative name, How to Pray Like Jesus. Uh, this class is coming up, and we dive into Scripture. We look at all the different ways that Jesus prayed and how we can model him and how by modeling him, our prayer life can go even deeper, and we can feel more and more of God's love. We can see more and more prayers answered, and we can be more and more in touch with what the Holy Spirit is doing. So if you want to press into that, I'd highly recommend picking up a copy of that current, flipping through, find one of that classes, and go into it. Uh, fill out your Connect form. You can register online. Um, but I'm just going to give you kind of the nitty-gritty of it today. Um, but we are going to be in Luke 22, verses 41 through 43. It says, He, he's Jesus, withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. And an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Isn't that a great verse? Now, uh, <laughs> that, that, uh, the, the word that's used for prayer here, to quote our senior pastor, Michael, this word is fascinating. This is a compound word. And the first part of this word uh, means to like go to a place of prayer or draw close. And we see Jesus doing this. Not only does he go to this garden, which he more than likely prayed at before and was familiar and comfortable to him, and not only does he go away from people, but he draws himself into the presence of God. He creates space to get close to God. It's this intentional entering in to God's presence so that you can experience his power. So that's the first thing that we learn is that we need to draw close. And I don't know about you, but a lot of the time, a lot of my prayers aren't these drawing close prayers. A lot of my prayers are more like, uh, like I'm filling out my, my Christmas list. Uh, God, could you uh, help my girls go to sleep? Will you make sure I have enough time to get my nutrition class homework done after this youth conference? And uh, if, if you could help people not get sick, that'd be great. And I just keep on going. And while those prayers aren't bad, we are definitely called to pray all the time. We need to take intentional time to slow down and enter into God's presence. Because that's where we hear the voice of God. Um, so for example, my house is really chaotic, right? Girls running around, fish swimming everywhere. It's, it's, it's insane. I have a lot of fish. Um, a couple of them went missing. It's weird. I don't know what happened to them. But every once in a while, the girls fall asleep and the house is quiet. And I lay down in bed and my old boy cat, Dexter, crawls out of the closet where he's been hiding from the girls. And he jumps up on the bed. He does the cat thing. And he comes up and he sits on my chest and I scratch him behind the ears, and I whisper stuff to him. Oh, you're such a good kitty. You put up with so much stuff, Lucy and Clarice, chasing you around. Such a good kitty. Really wish you wouldn't throw up on the rug when your bowl's half full. But you're such a good kitty. I love you so much. Friends, that's kind of what prayer is. Please don't come lay on my chest, but it's this drawing close. It's this drawing close to our Heavenly Father. It's this relaxing, settling in so that we can hear the words of affirmation and the challenge. And if we're not creating space in our lives to do that, if we're not slowing down, man, our growth is going to be minimal. When it could be maximal, we'll go with it.
So that's the first thing. We draw close. And then the second part of this word has to do with letting go. Look at what Jesus says. Not my will, but yours be done. God the Son submits to the will of God the Father. We draw close to God, then we let go. We lay things down. We submit the things in our life that have taken root that aren't from Jesus. And this takes effort on our part. Letting go, it's not uh, a passive thing. It's not a weak thing. It is brave and it is bold. This is what faith looks like. Trusting that when we let these things go, when we submit control of our lives and give it over to God, he will keep us secure. This requires effort. Friends, it can be painful. And it's so good. It's so good. We don't have to be controlled and defined by these things anymore. So what's the thing that's taking control of your life that today you're being invited to let go? It might be a relationship. It might be a desire for a relationship. And the, the thought of keeping that other person happy or finding a person to keep you happy, that's the thing that you just hear on repeat. That's the thing you think about before you go to sleep. That's the thing you think about when you wake up. Maybe it's, uh, it's the desire for like a new title at work, for that power and that prestige, to have people say your name with awe and respect. For lots of us, I think there is this moment in our past where somebody spoke something over, like over us, where we had an experience happen to us and we just can't get around it. Like if you were to look at the timeline of your life, that's the moment. That's the thing that's defining you. That's not God's heart for you. What's it for you? Are you like me and you find that you're consuming things, politics, media, unhealthy talk uh, about your coworkers or from your coworkers, and you can feel yourself turning into the person that you don't want to be? Today, we have an opportunity to let those voices go, to not let them divine us. Only God gets to say who you are. Only God gets to say who you are. And what we see in this verse is that as Jesus draws close to God, as he lets go, as he submits, an angel comes and gives him strength. And no, friends, as we draw close, God's got gifts for us too. And there's going to be incredibly hard times. Like, let's not forget that from this moment, Jesus like, starts his journey to the cross where he gets murdered. But he doesn't do it alone. He receives strength from God. And maybe you've got an area in your life right now where you just feel alone. There's some weight that's been dragging you down. There's been some obstacle that you can't overcome. There's some voice so loud in your head that you don't know if it'll ever stop talking. What if today, what if today is the day that God wants to give you a gift? What if today is the day you get to see breakthrough and transformation in your life. Friends, as we get ready to close today, let's remember that Jesus, he asked questions to redirect us 
and invite us closer to him. So each one of us here today, like we're being invited into more. Jesus is asking each one of us that same question that he did all these years ago. He's asking, where's your security? Is it in me or is it in something else? He wants to point out all the ways that we're getting our security from things other than him. Instead of relying on our own strength to feel secure, today there's an invite to rest in his love, knowing that no matter what happens, the good stuff, the bad stuff, the unexpected stuff, the God of the universe will take care of us. Today, he's asking, what's the thing that's defining you? Do you see yourself first as an image bearer of the most high God? Or do you see yourself through a different lens? Do you know how much worth and value you actually have? What if you believed it in your heart? And as the Holy Spirit highlights all these ways, both big and small, where we're acting out of fear or self-preservation or misplaced loyalty, there's this invite. Jesus is asking each one of us here today to draw close to him, to let go, to surrender those things, to submit them to him, then let him come and strengthen us, to let him come and help us, to let him love us. And the question that you have to ask yourselves today is how are we going to respond? Are we going to take a risk? Are we going to have faith that if we draw close and let go, if we choose to trust that the creator God, he's going to meet us in powerful ways. So friends, let's put some of this stuff into practice. Let's answer this question. Let's stand up and we're going to enter into a time of ministry. And this is a chance to draw close and to respond. This is a chance for us to interact with the living God. So friends, I'm going to open us in some prayer and I'm going to leave a lot of silence in there. And as God like, highlights things to you, just begin to pray, begin to draw close, begin to lay that stuff down. So Holy Spirit, we just welcome you here even more right now. Father, would you come and speak to us? Father, would you show us all the ways We've been reaching for things that aren't you. Would you show us the ways that our, our pride and our fear and in, our insecurity have controlled us and just taken us off the path? Father, would you show us where we've given things authority in our life that aren't you? Holy Spirit, right now, would you help us lay those things down? And would you help us, would you help us to realize like you're inviting us into so much more and 
there's this, there's this, uh, this lie that some of you are hearing right now that, oh, that thing's not a big deal. That thing is a big deal. If it's drawing you away from the presence of God, it's a big deal. So Father, right now, would you give us the, the boldness and the courage to take a risk and lay that thing down? God, so many of us have our identity misplaced. As I was, I was praying earlier for you guys, um, I kept hearing these words like, but without this, I don't know who I am. If I'm not this person, insert title, who am I? I think today God wants to speak to that. Just show you how much he loves you. How everything else flows from that. And for some of us, I think that this is a real spiritual battle. Last night when I was, when I was praying for you guys, I just felt like this crushing weight on my chest, like there is this uh, like dark, like suffocating presence that's got some people just wrapped up and is keeping them like, from experiencing God's love. So if that's you, and hey, ministry team, why don't you come on up front? And the ministry team is going to come up here. And these are folks that have gone through that learning to pray like Jesus class and are practicing hearing God's voice. And if as you think of like your identity, and especially if there's, if there's that one moment in your life that you feel like defines you, that you just can't get around, like I think that that's the thing that God wants to give you freedom from today. Like that thing doesn't get to tell you who you are anymore. So as the worship team uh, is, they're going to play some more songs. If that's you, I'm going to invite you to take a risk. And at some point before the end of our time together, come up front and have one of these folks pray for you because on the other side of that risk, there's a whole new life. And so Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you fill us up? Would you be the type of people that bear your image, that reflect you into the world? So God, show us how to do that. All right, friends, let's worship together. Let's pray together. Thank you so much for coming to the vineyard.